This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Paul is finally in Rome. I find it so interesting that when you look at your Bibles, at the end of Acts is the next letter, and it's the next letter to Romans. Right, so where the last few chapters of Acts, you know, charting Paul's journey, you know, the shipwreck, this and that, finally ends up in Rome, and then the next letter is Romans. Now this can be confusing if you are, you know, a new Christian, young Christian. Uh, Romans is actually written before the time that is described in Acts. Okay, so before Paul arrives in Rome, as described for us in Acts 28, five years before that was when the letter of Romans was written. So even though Romans comes, you know, after Acts, uh, chronologically, it's written before. And you see in your, the responsive reading that we had, at the end of this long letter, uh, to the Romans, Paul has not visited Rome. And so at the end of that letter, he tells them that he wants to come to them, that it is his great desire now that he's finished his ministry, you know, in these areas, he wants to go to Rome. That is his desire, that is his plan, and for and from Rome to go to Spain. Now this was a burden that the Lord Jesus had put in his heart, and that's why he's written, you know, to the Romans saying, I'm going to come, but I'm not just going to come to you, I'm going to come, and I still have, you know, trying to reach, you know, push the gospel, you know, further, further, you know, with your help, go to Spain. That was his intention in the letter to Romans, but little could he know five years later that he would arrive in Rome and little could he know that he would arrive there as a prisoner. Now there is a strange ending to how Acts uh, ends, and so we must ask God to help us uh, to learn what he has to say to us uh, from these verses. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for our journey in Acts. Thank you for all that you have taught us. Thank you for the ways that you have encouraged us and challenged us and rebuked us. And Father, we continue to pray that you might speak in this part of your word. Please continue to challenge and comfort and encourage. For your glory and our good, we pray. Amen. So you can find an outline in the bulletin. And for verses 11 to 16, we see that Paul has arrived finally. Finally, he's arrived in Rome. So the journey begins from Malta. And from Malta, they take a ship and they sail to uh, Syracuse. And from Syracuse, they go to Regium. Okay, now, all these places, I know, makes little sense to you, okay? But basically, Rome is in where? In Italy. Okay, so if you look at the map, Italy is shaped like a foot. Okay? And Syracuse is like this island that is uh, like a football that this leg is trying to kick. Okay? So Malta is like the bit of dirt that flies off from the football. Okay? So the bit of dirt is where uh, Paul is at the moment in verse 11. And so from the bit of dirt, they sail to the football. And from the football, they sail to the leg. And from the leg, they sail to the knee, okay? And from the knee, that's where they start walking in to Rome. Okay, so that's what 
11 to 16 is describing uh, for us. And finally, so we came to Rome. They arrived in Rome. Now, quite interestingly, uh, Paul sails there in a boat. And right in the front of the boat, uh, Luke tells us, is the figurehead of Castor and Pollux. Okay, I mean, why did he record it? I mean, he recorded it because it's true, historically, that was what was at the front of the ship. But interestingly, the figurehead, Castor and Pollux, they are the twin sons of the Greek god Zeus. You know, the, in Greek mythology, Zeus is one of the gods, and then he has this two twin sons, Castor and Pollux, and they are meant to be protectors of sailors, protectors of those who travel by sea. And I think Luke is just including that because he finds it so ironic and maybe even humorous that the final journey that would take Paul, you know, from this island to Rome, there's this, you know, figurehead of Castor and Pollux when actually it is the hand of God. It is the sovereign determination of God that saw Paul through all the shipwrecks, the storms, and through it all brought him from where he was finally safely to Rome. And so funny that the ship has this, you know, figure hits. But it is God. God who took Paul on this journey. This journey that should have taken only five weeks. But through many dangers, toys and snares, shipwrecks and storms, it took four months. But God got him there. Now this reminds us actually of uh, all the way back in Acts 23, verse 11. When the Lord stood by Paul, you don't have to turn to it, I'll I'll read to you. And uh, the Lord Jesus encouraged Paul, saying to Paul, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So all the way back there already in chapter 23, we hear clearly the Lord Jesus' determination to get his man testifying for him in Rome. Now as we move on to the next section, we have to ask the question, but why Rome? Why was it so crucial that Paul get to Rome? Look at 17 to 22. So when they arrive in Rome, uh, and you might forgive Paul for resting for three days, huh? it has been an arduous journey, the last of which uh, by foot. So he rested three days, and three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people, or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem, and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So why Rome? Why was it so crucial that Paul get to Rome? Well, on one hand, it is important because Paul needs to defend himself. As you can see him doing here. Paul is uh, recapping, he is maintaining to these Jewish leaders 
that through all these trials, through all that's happened, he is innocent. But you need to understand that he is not defending himself, maintaining his innocence simply for his own sake, his own reputation. He is doing it more so because his innocence is tied up with the vindication of the gospel. That as the leading spokesperson of Christianity, this new sect, this new religion that people think it is, you know, all these charges against them. For Paul to be found innocent, it would vindicate, it would show that this new religion is not something that is going against Jewish customs. It is not something that is trying to overthrow the Jewish religion. Rather, it is fulfillment. And so it is important that Paul gets to Rome because in the capital of the world's empire, he can proclaim to the Jewish leaders and he can proclaim to the Roman politicians and uh, governors and even Nero himself that he is innocent of all these charges, that Christianity, that God, the gospel, is not trying to overthrow Rome, it's not trying to overthrow the Jewish religion. But rather, the gospel, that Christianity, is fulfillment. It is because, as he says in verse 20, of the hope of Israel. This is our Old Testament, our Jewish expectation, he says to his brothers. The restoration of Israel, all the promises God made to our forefathers, it is because of that those promises now being fulfilled that I'm doing all this. What I'm proclaiming is about fulfillment of promise. So he needs to show the Jews, he needs to show the Roman Empire, he needs to show the, the watching world that the gospel is blameless and Christianity is fulfillment of Jewish religion, not overthrowing it. Now, there is another reason why uh, Paul needs to go to Rome. It's a related reason, and we can see that in verses 23 to 29, where we see Paul explaining and persuading in Rome. We already saw Jesus saying to Paul, Acts 23, I want you to testify for me in Rome. I want you to testify for me in Rome, and that is what Paul does. He arrives in Rome and he is testifying, testifying to Jesus. We see there, verse 23, that on a later day, verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. And he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. So you see, in Rome, before the Jewish leaders, before the the Jewish people, he is explaining and persuading, testifying about Jesus. Now, I mean, what wouldn't you give to be there? Because it is morning to evening, Paul is giving this sermon that he has given hundreds of times. You know, going to the books of Moses, you know, from the prophets, he is explaining how all these things are now being fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, Paul is a masterful teacher. What is taking us, or going to take us 31 weeks in the Bible overview, 
you know, 31 weeks. Okay, you're doing well. Okay, we are almost at the end. Paul, morning to evening. Okay, morning to evening is enough for him to go through his own Pauline Bible overview to try and prove and persuade from the scriptures that the hope of Israel has now come. We are not no longer waiting. It has arrived and has come in the person of Jesus Christ. But we think about how Acts has gone. We should actually also be expecting that Paul be testifying not just before the Jewish leaders, before the Jewish people. We actually have the expectation that he should be testifying before the Roman Empire, before the Roman Emperor, before Nero himself. Because all the way back in Acts chapter 9, when Paul was first converted on the road to Damascus, I mean, it seems like ages ago, but you know, Paul, he was full of zeal, persecuting the church, and then on the road to Damascus, he was going to arrest more Christians. But the Lord Jesus comes, reveals himself to him, and commissions him. And then to Ananias, the Lord Jesus says, okay, that this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. See, not just proclaim to the Gentiles, but proclaim to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So one expectation we have is, did Paul do it? Did he manage to get to, you know, the, the, the court of Nero and proclaim the gospel, you know, uh, defend himself, proclaim and persuade from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ? Proclaim the gospel to Nero, the Roman emperor himself. Now, church history uh, tells us that, in fact, there is very good evidence that Paul did. That Paul did end up going before Nero. And that this imprisonment in Rome, Paul was actually freed. He was freed from this imprisonment and he managed actually managed to go to Spain, as was his desire in the responsive reading, you know, from Rome to go to Spain. Church tradition tells us that he did. He was released, he managed to go to Spain, and in fact he returned from Spain, and then he was arrested a second time. And it was during that second arrest that he wrote books like uh, Philippians and Second Timothy, and it was there in not a rented home, but in the dungeons of uh, a Roman prison that Paul was beheaded and he lost his life. So all these things, we have uh, good confidence happen. But as you saw from the reading, Luke tells us nothing of this. And so we're going to think about why it ends this way. okay? And we'll, we'll think about that later. But before we get to the end, Look at how the Jews respond to Paul's explanation and persuasion. Okay, some believed, but others did not, would not believe. They disagreed among themselves, verse 25, and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. So what does he say? He quotes a long Old Testament passage, okay, which is significant. So look at verse 25, he says, The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors 
when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to these people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and in turn, and turn, and I would heal them. So at the end of preaching to these Jews, some believe, some would not believe. And to them, he gives this Old Testament passage, quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. Why? Why does Paul choose to end this way? I mean, you know, he preached to them morning to evening. He did a, he brought his best sermon, okay? Persuaded with all his heart. At the end of it, he was, he was, I mean, obviously tired. But why end this way? Why not just say, you know, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in Rome for a few more days. Any questions, come and see me. You know, why, why need to tell them, you know, you're, you're ever hearing, never perceiving. And this is fulfilled, you know, in, in the words of Isaiah the prophet. You know, you are fulfilling these, these words of judgment. Why end this way? Now, I think one reason that we can understand from Romans 9 to 11 is that he's doing so because this is a way to make the Jews jealous. Because at the end of it, he says, verse 28, because you are never perceiving, never understanding, verse 28, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. You see, this is your hope, your expectation. And yet so many of you are not believing. And so this, this message, this blessing, this fulfillment of promises is going to go from you to the Gentiles. People who historically are not the people of God. It will go to them. They will listen. They will inherit the promises. They will get the blessings. And so this is a way that Paul has used. We see it in Romans to make the Jews jealous. You mean this is our own promise and it's going to the Gentiles? No, no, okay. It's, it's a way to make them listen carefully and hope that more would come, more would receive the hope that is promised to them. But I think another reason that Paul says it is because ultimately it is true. Because on his travels, on his many missionary journeys, he has met this unbelief from the Jews. And so in this final part at the end, Luke sort of brings this theme back together and shows that the Jews turning away is not because the gospel is not true, but rather it is fulfilling the words of the prophet about them. That they are hardened, they just will not listen. But the gospel is true and that's why it is going out, going out to those who will listen and they will receive and they will receive the blessings and the promises. Now the, we could go on about why, you know, Paul ends this year. But I think it is more pertinent to see how this passage of Isaiah 6 quoted here sounds a warning for us. Because it is not just the Jews who have this problem of, you know, being ever seeing but never perceiving. You know, always hearing but not understanding. I mean, this, this, this problem, this disease, this 
issue can be found even in this room. Okay, and, 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 and once I say that, you know, you, you, you know what I'm going to say next. And I want to plead with you, don't in your mind straight away think, yes, why? Thank you for saying this. That person needs to hear this. You know, what I'm saying is don't instinctively go, aha, yes, this is a warning for him, for her. But you never think that this is a warning for you, for me. This problem of being, you know, given the information. Week in, week out, we come, we are here, and, and it is not a problem of a lack of knowledge. In our Bible studies and the sermons here, we are hearing. But could there be some of us here who are ever hearing, but never perceiving? You know, the words just come in one year, out the, out the other. You know, and so I'm so glad that Richmond chose the song Speak, O Lord. Because this is a prayer that we all need to pray. That God, would you please speak? Would you, would you God, please not let me be in this situation? Where the words are coming at me, where I'm hearing. Okay, I'm not some, you know, tribal person out in the Amazon, you know, I, I don't have the opportunity to hear. No, I, I have. Week in, week out. Some of us, year in, year out, we are hearing. And so we need to be aware that this could be a danger for us. Not to be ever hearing, but never perceiving. Seeing, but not understanding. And so because we do not see, we do not understand, we do not turn. We do not truly turn to Christ and receive the forgiveness that is found only in Him. Please, be aware that this is a danger that you may be in. Don't think that this is just a word for someone else. Now, how can you tell? How can you tell if you have heard and you have understood? I think there are two things we can say. One is that you genuinely truly are aware that you are a sinner. That the reality of your sin, of your personal rebellion against God, that you don't just, okay, yes, I'm a human and I'm part of this fallen humanity and so, of course, you know, humans make mistakes, no one is perfect. No, that, that the level of your understanding of your sin, of your offense and rebellion against God, you, you, you know it and you feel it and you admit it and you confess it. And you know that you are helpless to do anything about it. And so because you are aware of your own helplessness, you recognize that your one true hope, that there is no other name except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom you can place your trust in whom there is forgiveness which can be found there. These two things, if you truly understand, truly perceive, truly know in your heart, then that is good evidence you've come to understand that you're not just hearing but never perceiving. So verse 30 and 31, Rome and beyond. Rome and beyond. Luke ends by saying, verse 30, For two whole years, 
Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Like I said, why? Why just end here? You know, what about the trial before Nero? What about the trip to Spain? You know, how, how did Paul end his life? What else did he do? But, you know, Luke, you know, you know, I want to strangle him when we go to heaven, right? Why just end here? So many more things you could have told us. Okay, and the reason why he doesn't tell us more about, you know, Paul's journey, whether he made it to Spain, how it was before Nero, this and that, is because the book of Acts is not about Paul's life. It is not a story of Paul's life. Rather, it is a story of the gospel and how the gospel has made it now all the way from Jerusalem to the capital of the world. And the implication is from here, it will continue to push out to the ends of the earth. You might remember that we kept going back to Acts chapter 1. You might want to flip there. Uh, put your finger in Acts 28. But see in Acts chapter 1, all the way back there, the word of Jesus to his apostles. Chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Luke wants to end this way because he is saying it has made it. And it will continue to push out from the capital of the world to the world's empire. Sorry, to the, to the ends of the world. And you see how chapter 1 verse 1 of Acts says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And we said so a number of times that if the Gospel of Luke is about how Jesus, you know, what Jesus began to do, then Acts, his second book, is about what Jesus continues to do. What Jesus continues to do. And so, this last picture of Paul as a prisoner, but having the freedom to teach and proclaim the gospel to anyone who comes to see him. And how the, the last words of the book of Acts is, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Therefore, Luke, this is a fitting way to end. Because the Lord Jesus is continuing to do this work, this open-ended way in which the book ends. Right? He just taught with all bonus, without hindrance, and then full stop. I mean, there's an openness to the book. Because its implication is that the gospel is still going out. And the open-ended nature of that the ending fits in with what Acts is about. That this is the Lord Jesus' continuing work. Jesus is still continuing to fulfill his purpose, to do his work. And even now, today, this is what the Lord Jesus is continuing to do. So I want to end with uh, three thoughts. That the mission of the church is to boldly proclaim the gospel. 
the mission of the church is to boldly proclaim the gospel. And you see the way that Luke ends this book, right? In the whole of Acts, there have been so many miracles, so many supernatural events, you know, this and that happening. But at the end, it sort of ends on a whimper. There's no supernatural events. There's only mention of some Jews who believe. There's no mention of a mass conversion of Gentiles, you know. He just says, verse 28, the Gentiles will listen, but do any Gentiles, does Luke actually tell us about any Gentiles who get converted? No. It sort of ends on a whimper. You know, Paul, rented home, prisoner, but he's proclaiming the gospel. Why does it end this way? Because the mission of the church is to keep doing that. That we do not need supernatural events to happen. We do not even need mass conversions before we, okay, yeah, yeah, this is the right thing to do. No, it sort of ends this way because it's sort of telling us that every Christian, every Christian can participate and contribute to this mission. Whoever you are, wherever you are, just boldly proclaiming the gospel. See, if it ended with mass conversion and Paul doing some supernatural signs and wonders, and then it's like, okay, yes, that's him. But it ends instead, Paul simply telling people the gospel. And that is something every one of us can do. And the thing we need to realize is, it is as we do that, that Jesus is continuing his work. It is as the gospel is proclaimed that people are being warned, rescued from death to life, transferred from the kingdom of darkness, transferred to the life, the, the, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son. That's how God is saving a people for himself, just through his people simply boldly proclaiming the gospel. This is how Jesus his work is ongoing. Second thing I want to tell you, observe from this passage, is that the work of Jesus will often appear weak and unimpressive. Right, we've already said that Paul is a prisoner. He's, he even has to rent his own accommodation, meaning that he is uh, probably you know, working as a tent maker, paying for his own accommodation. It appears... Weak, it appears unimpressive, there's no, you know, revival, no mass conversions. But it is through this work that the, 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 the mission of God, the work of Jesus is ongoing. It will often appear weak and unimpressive. I remember many years ago reading the Bible with one of my students. And I, I, I think back to that time, how, you know, week in, week in, I read the Bible with him. And so many times I thought to myself, I mean, this isn't getting anywhere. You know, because I, mean, I, would, I, would, I would read it and then he would be, you know, quite unresponsive. But years later, when he got married, he actually, among all the people that he thanked in his wedding, wedding speech, he thanked me. And he is now a Bible study leader in his church. I mean, something that I could not imagine happening. You know, it was weak, unimpressive, you know, just two guys sitting there. 
but now he is a Bible study leader in his church and doing things for the Lord, serving uh, God's people in his church. The third thing and last thing I want us to notice is the work of Jesus is unstoppable. See, that's why it ends with that word, without hindrance. Yes, it may appear weak. Yes, it may appear unimpressive. But it is going out and it is unstoppable. Now, if you could time travel back to Rome. okay, Go back in time to Rome where Paul is. And you have opportunity to visit, you know, where all the action is taking place in Rome. Where would you go? I mean, you might go to the Colosseum, you know, see the action there. You might go to uh, Nero's palace, you know, see the decisions that's happening there. Go to the Roman Senate. And you, you might go, you might think that those are the places where the important decisions, where the important events are happening. And then you might pass by this rented home and see this man, who is a prisoner, and he's explaining something to another person from a scroll. And you might just look at that and go, there's nothing. The real action right, is happening you know, in, in the Roman Senate where all those people wearing the, the bathrobes are, are discussing and making you know, decisions about the Roman Empire. Now, if you thought that, you would be wrong. Because where is the Roman Empire now? The Roman Empire, the remains of it is in a museum. But the work of that man explaining from the scroll, that has lasting effects. Because God's kingdom is still growing. God's kingdom is still advancing. It is still uh, reaching more and more people. The work of Jesus is unstoppable. So as we end, I want to ask us, do you believe that? Luke tells us it will proceed without hindrance. Paul tells us the gospel will go to the Gentiles. They will listen. Without hindrance, they will listen. But do we believe that? Oftentimes I find that I am the one who is the hindrance. Oftentimes I find that where I have an opportunity to maybe share the gospel, but I think to myself, no, they won't listen. No, you know, they, they're not going to believe me. I am the one who is the hindrance. So friends, we need to hear this word that the gospel of Jesus Christ will go out without hindrance. And because it is the powerful ongoing work of Jesus, there will be those who will listen. May we be those who listen. May we be those who turn and find in Jesus forgiveness for our sins and want to tell others about it. May God help us. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.